First, uh, before we get to our guest, Sarah Westwood, a little history lesson. For those of you who are too young or were too stoned at the time to understand what was going on. Back during Bill Clinton's first term, the Democrats had controlled the House. See, if you're younger, the House has been going back and forth now in recent years, and uh, you kind of feel like it's been that way. Back uh, in Bill Clinton's first term, in 1994, when the Republicans were running to try to take the House, the Democrats had controlled the House of Representatives for 40 years. 40 years the Dems controlled the House. There was just some belief that it just always would be you know, an institution run by Democrats. Newt Gingrich, who wanted to be Speaker of the House, came up with this contract for America, partially based off a Ronald Reagan speech and some stuff from the Heritage Foundation, and it had a whole bunch of things in it, that things that we promise to do if you elect us to run the House of Representatives. And it was a pretty good uh, a political, I want to call it, it's definitely not a stunt in any way whatsoever, but a maneuver, tactic, whatever, to like really focus uh, people on what they would get out of having Republicans control Congress. Well, it looks like the current guy who would like to be Speaker of the House with the Democrats in charge, Speaker of the House for the Republicans with Democrats in charge, Kevin McCarthy, has put out a piece of paper of his own, and we're going to discuss that with Sarah Westwood, investigative reporter of the Washington Examiner. Uh, Sarah, welcome to the Armstrong and Getty Show. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for having me. I hope the little history lesson wasn't too boring for you. Um, how, uh, how, uh, what is uh, Kevin McCarthy calling his thing? This is called the Commitment to America, and you're right, it's sort of modeled after this contract uh, for America that Newt Gingrich unveiled. And I think it's, it's an effort by McCarthy to have a more proactive message heading into the midterms, right? I mean, I think a criticism that you've heard people like Senator Rick Scott over on the Senate side, the level at Republican leadership is that we are you know, against all of these things that Democrats are doing. We're running a really oppositional campaign, but we don't really have a clear sense of what we're for these days. Mm. And so this, I think, is to give a sharper, clearer direction for voters as to what they can expect if they elect Republicans. And, uh, you know, I, I think there's, there's the potential for it to be really smart politics because yeah. you are sort of defining the Republican agenda in the, in the sharpest way that they have so far this election and that could be helpful to some republicans out there who are still sort of struggling to find that message to run on sure it's a you know it's like a powerpoint presentation in a in a conference room or something so uh what is he promising chicken in every pot what 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 are some of the the whatever you called it the 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 good things for america contract what's in it sure so one of the big ones obviously fighting inflation uh public safety. These are all sort of organized under, like you said, different different slide decks, if you will. An economy that's strong is one category, a nation that's safe, a government that's accountable. But also he's wading into some of the culture war issues with this plan that I think Republicans have found might be in political circles defined as sort of a right wing causes, but are actually really popular with most Americans, like uh, having girls sports be the domain of only girls oh boy wow i didn't know that that didn't know he's gonna go there he is and so so you know i think that while some of those issues are kind of controversial they are leaning into the most popular of the culture war ideas and a lot of that is centered around schools and you know again i think getting all republicans on the same page rowing the same direction on some of these issues where 
Democrats have been defining the conversation is a really good thing for the party. However, he's rolling it out on the same day that early voting is already starting in about five or six states today. I mean, wow. it's the final quarter of the election. And so one does have to wonder if this could have been a more helpful to Republicans if he'd rolled it out. Yeah, that's that's uh, a, a real that is a real tough one with the modern politics. And I'm sure both parties are trying to figure it out because I mentioned the other day this past Tuesday, we're seven weeks from the election. Seems like a long time. And Joe pointed out that, well, for some people, they're like, you know, they're not even seven days from the election. So, yeah. How, when do you focus your message message? When do you make your 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 final argument? Uh, do you wait for the mass of people in most places who are going to vote that day? Or, yeah, I don't know. That's a tough one. Yeah, traditionally, right, campaigns would wait until after Labor Day to really ramp up because that's when voters started paying attention. But now, you know, some of these midterm campaigns started last year. I mean, this campaign, it drags on for a long time. People are engaged a lot earlier. And uh, and some, you know, there's a lot of nuances. But in some of the key races, the primaries were much earlier. And so the general election campaigns have been going on for months. And, they, and both candidates have had more of a chance to define each other. In other ones, we just got the nominee, you know, in August. And so, like, in New Hampshire, for example, and the general election is so much more truncated. So one does have to wonder if to account for all of those nuances and for the states where candidates were chosen in primaries a lot earlier, a plan like this might have been more helpful a lot earlier. That's what Senator Rick Scott did with his plan uh, that angered a lot of Senate Republicans. But he released it much earlier so that it would have more of an impact and sort of failed in getting Republicans to line up behind his agenda. But I think the idea was the same. We should enter this midterm election contest. Yeah, well, I, I understand. I definitely understand the argument of the other side because most people don't pay attention. Or, well, the people who don't vote early don't pay attention until it's you know gets closer to election day. So you could roll out your big contract with America, sort of thing. But if nobody's paying attention, it's not doing any good. So uh, I'm, I'm sure over time, both parties are going to have to figure this out of when you when you land with your big messages sarah westwood of the washington examiner we're talking to her i gotta jump into the immigration story where are we on that is it uh is it continue to have legs in washington dc or is it petering out or are there going to be more bus loads sent to more blue city and state that are sanctuaries to keep things riled up what do you know I think so. I mean, I think it's been so incredibly effective. Yeah. Uh, you know, I'm sure Greg Abbott, the governor of Texas, is not happy that Ron DeSantis sends one plane load and gets all the attention when Abbott's been doing it for months uh, to try to get the same message across, sending busloads of immigrants to Washington, D.C. and New York City. I think the benefit and why this was sort of a gamble from DeSantis, because it was controversial, but why it's paying off is that now I don't, I don't really see a lot of continuing debate about the ethics of sending those specific migrants to Martha's Vineyard. But the debate has moved on and into even mainstream media realms about the border crisis. I mean, Democrats had been so resistant to having any kind of rational conversation about what to do with all the migrants coming over the border. They sort of hid behind this shield of moral superiority, like they appeared to be the more welcoming people and that you know, excluded them from having to participate in a conversation about what to do. And now that the migrants have actually arrived on their doorstep in Washington, D.C., in New York City, in Martha's Vineyard, and they've turned them away, that's sort of (laughs) invalidated the only tool they had in their arsenal 
to not have to deal with this issue. And so now they are Democrats facing harder questions. Okay, well, if you don't want them and the border towns can't handle them, what should we do? And those conversations overwhelmingly favor Republicans. And in that way, I think this is an enormously helpful issue for Republicans in the midterms. Before I let you go, Sarah, I'm, uh, I got a bunch of TVs on here in the studio. One of them, CNN, where you used to work, and they're running the video like everybody is of the the unruly passenger who walks up behind the flight attendant and punches him in the back of the head. Have you seen that video? I haven't. I thought that was a, a COVID thing. Is it back plane violence? Uh, play, yeah, no, well, this one. So that's the reason I brought it up. It's it's pretty it's pretty ungood. Don't run up and hit a guy in the back of the head when he's facing away from you. Come on. If you're going to fight a flight attendant, you got to square up. <laughs> but anyway, do you know what it was over? It was over. They didn't have any coffee. So I got to say, I, I don't, you know, I don't approve of it, but I got on a Southwest plane the other day flying out of Burbank. And so, the you know, I'm running late. I'm always running late. And I, I the Starbucks line was long. And I thought, you know, I'm not going to I'll get coffee on the plane. I got on the plane. They shut the doors. They announced there's no coffee on this plane. Nah. I kind of wanted to wow. punch somebody in the back of the head. Got to admit it. I had so many regrets. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was rough. Sarah Westwood, thanks for joining us today. You always have the information. Appreciate it. Thank you. You bet. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Elevation with Stephen Furtick podcast was created with you in mind. This is a podcast for those feeling discouraged or needing guidance from God. Together in this podcast, we'll dive deep into scripture, uncover the powerful truths that will help you rise above your limitations and embrace your full potential. We're here to equip you with the tools you need to conquer life's challenges. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.